and welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 43, recorded on March 4th, 2018. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. It's good to be connected with you one last time before I head out to Scale 16X. And we start with some news that is decidedly retro for me, but it has lots of possibilities. Yes, YOLO have announced Sailfish 3, the next generation of the independent mobile operating system. And they sure use the word independent a lot in this announcement, don't they? They're very keen to stress that they are an alternative to Android and iOS. Yeah, independent jumps out a lot. There's another phrase that I thought was kind of funny. Regional licensing jumps out a few times, and it's all over their video as well. Those are two phrases I also heard come out of the lips of Mark Shuttleworth. He said that that was one of Canonical's primary advantages against Google and Apple and Samsung. They were independent, but yet still a business you could depend on to create a good product and establish a business relationship with, and that was one of their propositions. Sounds like that's the same proposition y'all is trying to make. Yeah, and speaking of regional, there are some regions where smartphones are not really affordable, and so now you'll want to go after the feature phone market with Selfish 3, which is kind of a pivot for them, isn't it? Yeah, I mentioned retro. This is what I was talking about. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing where this goes. These feature phones are pretty popular in developing nations, but I think they're also making a resurgence in Western nations. And the version of Sailfish that's coming to these feature phones will come pre-installed with some core Sailfish applications, uh, including Facebook, uh, and more will be coming, as well as some open source ones and an app store where users can download a few select Android apps depending on the capabilities of the feature phone. This version will also be compatible with non-touchscreen phones and numerical keypads, like a small, tiny phone with a week of battery running a free operating system. Now, Sailfish 3 is going to roll out in stages sometime in Q3 of 2018, first landing on the Sony Xperia XA2. Yeah, there are a few new devices, including the Gemini PDA, which was supposed to be dual-booting Linux and Android, but now with Selfish as an extra option on there, suddenly I'm wishing I'd back that project. Yeah, also a forthcoming tablet out of Russia is going to be running Selfish. I don't know much about it, but could be interesting. Yeah, just when we thought they were dead or dying, it looks like they're making a comeback. But I don't know how much faith I have in them as a company, Yola, really, because they've been really up and down, haven't they? And mostly down, to be fair, with failed deliveries of the tablet. And they've got this new licensing model, and they are very keen to stress it, as you said. So maybe there is hope for them. I don't think that in the West it's going to be a huge competitor to iOS and Android, but I think that perhaps it will find its niche in developing countries and maybe in feature phones in the West. But I'm not convinced that there's as much demand for those as people like to think. You had that Nokia 3310 reboot last year. Now you've got the banana phone from the Matrix coming back. I think that there's a lot of people who think they would be interested in that and may in fact buy one. But come on, a week with that, or even a day with that, you're going to be wanting your Android phone back or your iPhone pretty quickly, I think. The pragmatist in me says, you're probably right, Joe. I have a sense I would get a feature phone and maybe just keep it around for novelty's sake or use it when I'm looking to disconnect for a day or two, but probably wouldn't end up my daily driver. Now, something that Google's trying to do to make Chromebooks your daily driver is allow you to run full-fledged Linux applications, potentially, at least according to some screenshots and information we've seen leak out onto the web. Yeah, something called Crostini, which is being billed as virtual machines, but it may just be containers. But either way, 
this seems to me to be a direct competitor to the Windows subsystem for Linux that you have on Windows 10. It seems like Google don't want to be left behind here, and they want developers to be able to use their Chromebooks. Yeah, now we have seen some screenshots of how this would be implemented, and it's a pretty straightforward UI. In the case of the screenshot that's come out, it's actually installing the terminal, uh, which that would seem to open up a lot of possibilities, and hence the Windows subsystem for Linux comparison. You have different companies now taking major positions here. You have Microsoft with the subsystem. You have Google with potentially this Crustini or whatever it is they're calling it. And then we're going to talk about Samsung later on in the show also positioning that for developers. Everybody is trying to carve out an on-the-go development workstation because if anything, Dell's shown the market, you can really succeed when you target them specifically with hardware. Yeah, I was going to say, XPS 13 seems to me the ultimate developer on-the-go workstation, doesn't it? Yeah, and they seem to figure that out, what, four years ago, five years ago? Yeah, and now the other companies seem to be catching up. But do you think that any of these solutions really are going to compete with a full-blown Linux laptop running an i7 with 16 gigs of RAM plus? I don't think so. I think the momentum is already too strong there. I think the edge cases where you need that extra resource or you need the real machine or you need to be running closer to production, those add up and they end up just putting you on a full-fledged Linux desktop. But if you're traveling, you need to just do something really quick, you need an SSH connection, you need to build something, check something in or out, that it could work for. It could be a supplemental tool. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. And I suppose the education factor as well, because Chromebooks are much, much cheaper. And so it makes them even more attractive to schools teaching computer science, doesn't it? That was my first thought, was my son has been issued a Chromebook as part of his school curriculum. They create him a Google account. Uh, He's in there using Google Docs every day. He's getting indoctrinated just like they used to do back in the day with Microsoft and Apple. And that would mean potentially he could start playing around in the Bash terminal, I assume it's Bash, in the Linux terminal of some kind on his Chromebook. And I really can't find anything wrong with that. Yeah, it's almost like an escape hatch, isn't it, from the uh, otherwise being completely locked in to Google. I like to think that maybe Google wants to give people the power to compute on these devices that are capable of doing more. That would sure be a nice non-evil scenario. Well, yeah, I mean, even my really ancient C720 is well capable of running proper Linux. You're not going to be compiling kernels really quickly or anything, but you can do pretty much basic browsing on it, and that's only got two gigs of RAM. And now the modern Chromebooks, not even the really fancy ones, like the Pixel or whatever, but even a standard Chromebook that's like two, $300 is well capable of running proper Linux applications. So I think this was long overdue, really, adding this functionality at least as an option for people who want it. Well, as you say, proper Linux may not be required anymore because you're going to be able to run applications on Chromebooks And on the Windows side of things, when the subsystem no longer does it for you, you'll be able to run an enhanced version of 18.04 inside a hypervisor VM with what they say is going to be surprisingly good performance. Yeah, Microsoft is extending their hand to us Linux users yet again and making it really, really easy to run Ubuntu VMs on Windows with proper mouse integration and just no hassle whatsoever. It really feels like bad news for Linux, as far as I can see, because it's yet another reason for people to not bother installing Ubuntu to bare metal. Why would you when you can have such a flawless VM experience? So they say it's going to be three mouse clicks away. They're testing it today on Ubuntu 16.04, 
but they plan to ship 1804, and I'll, I'll tell you why that is. So like Joe said, it's got mouse integration. It also has full clipboard functionality, uh, drive redirect icon support, but there's something even bigger. This is where the performance really comes in, is they've baked in XRDP. It relies on the RDP protocol, which anybody that's u- used RDP on Windows servers knows it's it's probably the best thing out there as far as remote desktop goes. It's You can really just work on it 24-7. Um, and they've implemented that on Linux using the open source XRDP project. Over on the hypervisor side, they're connecting to Hyper-V sockets, which light up all these great features. These sockets enable this functionality. Um, and the, on the Linux side, it's called HV underscore sock, which is baked into Ubuntu 18.04's kernel out of the box. 4.15 has this upstream, this HV underscore sock. That supplies a byte stream-based communication mechanism between the host partition and the guest VM, the Ubuntu 18.04 VM, which is sort of similar communication style to TCP, except it's going over an optimized transport layer called the VM bus, and they have contributed those changes which allow XRDP to utilize these hypervisor sockets back upstream. So it'll probably be coming to the XRDP project. But that means they're using this Hyper-V bus at the kernel level to communicate between the VM and the 1804 guest to really make the display fast. Yeah, the script's available to test this on 1604 now. And then in a few months when 1804 comes out, you're going to be able to use it in production. And I just have to ask myself, how much longer can I pretend to be positive about this from a Linux point of view and a FOSS community point of view? Because you can say, well, it shows that Linux is serious, Microsoft has to take it seriously, but a company that size embracing this stuff, it's like they've woken up over the last few years and realized that they have to do that. And they're just potentially going to trample over any market share that we could have otherwise had. I look at it a little bit differently. I look at it in the same light that I look at LibreOffice and Firefox and a bunch of really other great open source applications being available for Windows. They made it easier for people to switch to Linux in the long run. In my opinion, the best way to switch somebody to Linux is for the first six months to a year, switch them to a full open source suite of applications on their Windows or Mac desktop and let them get used to that workflow. I think that could be happening here because at the end of the day, you're going to have more users running Ubuntu and Linux and using GPL software. They might be doing it on the Windows desktop, but it's going to be more users using open source software. Well, that in of itself is good, but is it going to prevent them from moving over to using Linux full time because it's just so easy to use the good bits of Linux, the best bits that they need from within Windows? Or will it whet their appetite? I think that's the part we just have to wait and see. Well, let's hope that you're right and that I'm wrong. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go to Linux Academy and go to the slash unplugged page to sign up for a free seven-day trial and support the Linux Action News. Linux Academy is an advanced training platform to learn more about Linux and all of the fundamental features around it. With self-paced in-depth video courses, hands-on labs, and real human beings that are full-time instructors that are there creating content and available to help you. And a great feature of the Linux Academy platform is the course scheduler. You simply log in and create a course schedule. You can specify how many hours you have available for each day of the week, and then they will create a training schedule to fit your availability. And if you want, they'll also send you emails to remind you about the studies and the tests that you are going to be taking to accomplish that 
learning track or course or whatever it is that you have set up for yourself. They have a wide range of types of courses, like ones for getting ready for certifications or ones to deep dive on a single topic, say firewalling on Linux or entire sets. Like you want to learn this industry, Android development as an example. It's this entire umbrella topic. You can work with all of that within their system and find something that works for your schedule. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Another week, another purism story. But don't worry, it's not about their phone this time. It's about their laptops. And so they've got this Librem line of laptops. And what makes them stand out from the various other Linux laptop sellers is their focus on attempting at least 100% free software and the privacy that comes along with that and the security, of course. And so now they've announced a new feature for the laptops that run Core Boot, which makes them tamper evident which means that you know with 100% certainty that none of the code has changed since you last booted it and that it can be trusted and is 100% secure. Yeah, and that certainty goes all the way from the BIOS level to the kernel to the initrid to the boot configuration. You can verify that they haven't changed. This is a post by Purism's chief security officer over on their blog, and he writes, We're excited to announce that we have successfully integrated heads into our TPM-enabled core boot running Librem laptops. This integration effort began in April of 2017 with the partnership of Purism and Trammell Hudson's Heads Project which required hardware design changes, uh, core boot modifications, and operating system updates to reach the point where they could have this unified stack. And now they have a tamper-evident boot process. If you're running PureOS and their hardware, you do have to buy their hardware to make this work, or you can find one of the projects that Head supports, which there are some ThinkPads out there, to accomplish this. And for certain types of workloads, like government workloads and enterprise-level security workloads, this is a really big deal. And Heads has a lot of advantages over all the other boot verification technologies for Purism specifically. It's sort of in alignment with their goals, and it seems to be really solid, open-source, free software. Secondly, the other thing they're emphasizing in this post is that they're able to use the TPM chip, which has been a bit of a controversy in the Linux community, uh, to their advantage in this particular configuration to give the user control of the keys. I spoke to Todd, the CEO of Purism, on uh, Late Night Linux episode 31, and he really stressed how this is a really attractive proposition to enterprise, and that is really where they're going with this. You kind of think of Purism and their Librem line of laptops as being for enthusiasts and people who really care about freedom and wanting to run Corbett and all the rest of it, but the reality is that where they're making their money is selling to enterprise, and all that enterprise money is kind of going back in and hopefully going to give us this Librem 5 phone and hopefully going to spread this idea that we can have completely free software running machines be it laptops or phones. So I've been skeptical in the past of what Purism are doing, and you certainly pay a premium for these products, but we're starting to see some real results now from them, so I think you have to say fair play to them, really. I still have my skeptical pants on for the Librem 5 effort, but the laptop line is, I think, one of the most differentiated custom Linux-first products on the market. First of all, I've had their early build, and now I've had their latest build line of laptop, and there's clear, solid lines of improvement where on each iteration they made it better. That's a great trend line in and itself. Now they've been making these constant efforts towards secure boot, locking that down and giving users control, and now we have the whole stack that's verifiable. That's a big win again that they're at the front line of. Yeah, and apart from anything else, Todd and the team that he surrounded himself with 
are excellent at PR and we need that in this space, don't we? We need people to go out and not evangelize, but certainly spread the word about how important software freedom is to yeah. security and privacy. And that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and to that end, it doesn't hurt that the laptops don't look too bad either. Yeah, I wouldn't mind having one for sure. But in the meantime, when I'm using other laptops, it looks like the mainline kernel might be getting some UEFI secure boot improvements of its own. Yeah, this is an effort that has been brewing for a couple of years now, and it appears to be pushed by Red Hat, and uh, there's calls now for it to be integrated into the Linux next tree, which would suggest it's going to be coming to Linux stable soon. From a high level, once this code is upstream, administrators will be able to enable further restrictions that will be placed on a Linux kernel when running in a UEFI secure boot enabled environment like blocking access to certain kernel parameters and modules, blocking access to areas of slash dev, which obviously that's good because you could manipulate aspects of the system there. Does this mean that I have to start actually using UEFI boot and not legacy mode like I do for all the machines that I buy? Yeah, Joe, I guess so. No more legacy boot for us. Well, you'll take my legacy boot from my cold, dead hands, I'm afraid. It's so much easier, I find. You're just not going to have any problems. But I think if you are... In the enterprise space, again, th this is where this is really targeted, isn't it? Absolutely, and I totally grok why they would want that. And I can even understand why people that are just on their laptops working out in the public would want something like this. And it is even good for us to have on consumer end devices. So I can't complain that much. When you compare it to a phone, they're not nearly as locked down as these phones are. Yeah, and as long as Legacy Boot remains available, then you can boot whatever you want. But if you're the kind of company that's using... Red Hat Enterprise Linux, then I think you're going to be very interested in this sort of thing. Speaking of phones and running Linux, Samsung would really like you to run Linux on the Galaxy. Or don't say the Galaxy, maybe you say DeX? They seem to be waffling a bit on the terminology. Yeah, well, DeX is the hardware interface, isn't it, that you plug the phone into and then you plug that into your screen and mouse and keyboard and everything. Yeah, in fact, they just announced a new update to the DeX dock at Mobile World Congress. Yeah, they seem to be taking this stuff really seriously, and it seems like they've got the hype train full steam ahead. I agree. I've been able to glean a few insights out of the hype. Number one is this is clearly and hard positioned towards developers. Number two is they appear to be experimenting with different UIs. I've seen what looks like uh, Enlightenment on there. I've seen uh, a GNOME-looking desktop on there that I don't think was GNOME, but it seemed to mimic GNOME. There's a lot of different UI elements in this one video that we have linked in the show notes that I found to be kind of interesting. The other thing that's neat, you put it in the deck stock now, the new deck stock, the phone turns into a giant touchpad, which is kind of a neat idea. And it appears you can still use the speakers on the phone and the microphone on the phone in the Linux session. The Linux session is using the Android kernel. And in some demos, it looks like when you mouse up to the top of the screen, another menu drops down, like, like you might see when you're in VirtualBox and you go to the top of your VirtualBox window and then the host menu drops down. So that was some of the things I was able to glean out of this current hype batch. Using the phone screen as a touchpad, eh? Hmm, if only someone had thought of that a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, they did with Ubuntu phone. Yeah. Well, that didn't do them any good, did it? They also push Eclipse hard. Uh, you see screenshots of GIMP, Firefox, Thunderbird, Terminal. There's a clear, clear product push towards developers. And the message that they kind of have buried in all of this is one that I've thought about a lot. In my opinion, these phones haven't arrived until you can write software for the phone on the phone. As long as you still have to have a PC to write Android apps and iPhone apps, they're baby operating systems, and you still need an adult operating system to actually get the work done. 
But Samsung is attempting to give developers a current-day development environment on an Android phone where you could write Android apps in this environment. That's at least a good idea. I just don't trust, after watching this video, that Samsung's the company to pull this off. That some It's some custom environment. They appear to have bundled like Office 365 web apps on there. And it's just sort of what you would expect from a large corporation taking a stab into a market that they've never tried to be in before. Yeah, and you kind of see them making the same mistakes that a lot of people have made before, trying to write their own custom UI and trying to write as much new software as possible when you think they should maybe be doing something more like what Maru OS is doing, where they take the Android open source project code, they take the Debian code, they take some container code and just mash it all together and it remains all open source. That's the point. That's the the good thing about open source. It's not just some idealist view. There are pragmatic reasons to use it. And if you just bolt together loads of existing open source software, it makes your job far easier. But then there's always that lack of commercial advantage argument. But if they're selling the hardware that makes this possible, then surely that's enough for them. But I know maybe I'm speculating too much, but just looking at what they've done here, I'm just very worried there's going to be a lot of proprietary code involved. They do seem to have the budget to invest over the long haul to make this work. Assuming this isn't just some sort of sub-branch of the DEX product line, and if the DEX product line goes away, this whole effort goes away, very possible. My thoughts are, if this was, like you say, running mainline Debian, or like Debian testing, or Ubuntu, or Fedora, it would be immediately much more compelling, and it would be much more useful it may be Debian under the hood for all we know. They're not really releasing the details. So I, I'd really like to call on Samsung or their DEX team if, if they really want to interface with the Linux community, give us some details so we can start discussing this, we can start maybe even participating a bit. Reach out and let us know. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact. What's running under the hood? What's running on top? Is that enlightenment? Give us some details so we as a community can start discussing this. linuxactionnews.com slash contact. Yeah, we'll be following this story over the next few months as it develops. So do go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get the new episodes. And you can also send us feedback and questions at linuxactionnews.com slash contact for all the ways to get in touch. You can support the whole network at the Patreon page, patreon.com slash jupitersignal. And you can follow my journey down to scale live as I'm making it. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover. And if I can, I'll be publishing Tech Talk today from the road as well. We'll be back next Monday. I'll be live from scale, at least from the California area, with our weekly take on Linux and the whole open source world. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Ressington. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you later. 